Like all of you, I'm on this journey. Only mine started 24 years, 12 weeks, five days, two hours, 36 minutes, and 14, 15, 16 seconds ago. This journey was not of my own choosing. It was set in motion by God himself long before my days came into being. And it's always been his plan to accomplish the unimaginable with me. 27, 28, 29. I've come so far, too far to turn back now. So no matter how hard this journey becomes, I will stay this course. I will not flinch, I will not blink, and I will not cower. There is no room for fear on this journey because I know my God is with me. And he's bigger than anything this world can throw my way. Circumstances and setbacks will not dictate this course. 42, 43, 44. Instead, I'm reaching out. I'm reaching up for all that my God has for me. 56, 57, 58, 59, 60. Hey, good evening. Uh, we've been doing a series together. We're going to kind of land this together uh, tonight. And uh, we've been talking about hard times. And uh, how, how is this different? How is it uh, changed by the fact that you and I have a relationship with God, that you and I have scripture uh, to fall back on, that you and I have prayer that we can involve? How are hard times different for those who name the name of Jesus, who follow God, than for those who don't, the, those who are still trying to figure God out and those who are still on the other side of a decision about God, who are navigating hard times alone. Why is this different for those who have God in their life versus those who haven't placed God in their life yet? And uh, we said as, as we were doing this that we, would, we were looking at the, the life of, of a guy who in his life struggled more deeply, more profoundly with worse issues than you and I are ever going to see. He's a guy by the name of Joseph, and his, his story is played out in Scripture. And we said one reason that this has the ability to speak to our lives is that his lows are lower than our lows. His highs are higher than our highs. And, and then there's going to come a moment, and tonight is that moment, where God is going to take the very people uh, in his life who have caused him harm and have caused him hurt, and God is going to deliver those people into his hand. And he's going to have the power, and he's going to have the opportunity to hurt the people who've hurt him. And the question simply is, what do you do? What do you do in a moment when God delivers into your hand the ones who've stabbed you in the back, the ones who've betrayed your trust? And you have the power to get even. What do you do in a moment like that? So if you grab your Bibles tonight, we're going to go back to the story of Joseph. It's Genesis chapter 41. And, and while you're turning there in your Bibles, let me catch all of us up, kind of get us to the moment that we are together, just in case you haven't been on the whole journey uh, with us. In the very beginning, we started out and, and we said, look, Joseph really comes from what you and I today would probably call a dysfunctional family. And but at least he had a family. And then his brothers become deeply and profoundly jealous of him and decide to beat him up one day. And the thought is, we'll just kill him. 
Uh, that'll, that'll take away our jealousy of our brother. And at the last moment, a caravan comes by of slave traders, and his brothers say to themselves, well, why shouldn't we profit from our brother? So they sell their brother off into slavery. He ends up in Egypt in, in a foreigner's house and uh, serving a master. And lo and behold, along the way, the master's wife begins to take a liking to Joseph, and she begins to pursue him. And Joseph doing the right thing, I mean, Joseph standing up for what was good and honest and honorable says to her, look, I can't do this, and, and this would be a betrayal. And she is so put off uh, that she raises false accusations about Joseph, and Joseph ends up in prison simply for doing the right thing, the honorable thing. And it's interesting that all through uh, the tough times in Joseph's life, all through this kind of descending into greater, greater turmoil, Scripture over and over and over and over again simply says this, and the Lord was with Joseph. As if, as if if Scripture didn't keep reminding us, if it didn't keep repeating it, that you and I wouldn't understand it. And the truth is, through the beginning part of this story, you and I have been tempted to say, well, God, then where are you? I mean, if you're with Joseph, then these things shouldn't be happening. I mean, if you're with Joseph, wouldn't you be blessing him for doing the right thing? And wouldn't you be protecting him from harm? And how is it possible that all of this calamity has fallen upon one person? if you are really with him. And God, if, if that's what it means for you to be with me, then maybe you could be with somebody else for a while. Last week, last week it was as if God allowed you and me to peek through the curtains, that, that you and I walked into a dark room and suddenly a light switch was turned on. Because last week, for the first time, we understood what God had been doing and what God had been orchestrating all along. Joseph finds himself in jail. Potiphar, or Pharaoh has a dream. None of his wise men, none of his soothsayers, none of his magicians can answer what the dream means. And suddenly, someone from the back of the room walks up and says, I met this guy in jail. And he was able to interpret a dream for me. Maybe he could do the same for you, Pharaoh. And Joseph is brought before Pharaoh, and in an instant, in an instant, the criminal, the convict, is, is elevated from despair to being the second most powerful man in the most powerful country in the entire world. And suddenly, you and I are clued in and revealed that, that all along the way, all along the journey, God's hand has been guiding Joseph, that, that as he's taken by his brothers and sold into slavery, and as he ends up in Potiphar's house and having to be a slave, and as he's falsely accused and thrown in jail, and although God did not cause it, he allowed it, and all the way positioning Joseph into the perfect circumstance for the perfect moment so that when Pharaoh had an uninterpretable dream, Joseph was there. And you and I are amazed. Tonight, tonight Joseph's going to get 
an opportunity. An opportunity to get even with his brothers. And it's going to be clear, and it's going to be obvious that God has delivered them into his hand. He's brought them to Joseph with opportunity and position and the ability to get even. And you and I are going to be confronted with the question, what do you do? What do you do in a moment when God delivers those who've hurt you the most into your hand? The story is in Genesis chapter 41. Here's what it says. Genesis chapter 41, starting in verse 45. And when all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. And then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. Now think about, think about the authority and the power that has been placed in Joseph's hand, that when the Egyptians come to Pharaoh and they say, look, it's getting tough, what should we do next? That Pharaoh says, look, look, don't even ask me. Go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you to do, because he's in charge. And when the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe in all the world. When Jacob, who is Joseph's father, who believes Joseph is dead because Joseph's brothers came back with the report that he'd been slain by a wild animal. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? You got to remember, this is even before the days of TV. And they're just sitting around. And he says, wait, are you just going to stare at flies all day while we sit here and die? Go to Egypt, buy us some food. Why do you keep looking at each other, he, he continued. I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us that we may live and not die. Then ten, then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. The same ten brothers who beat him up threw him in a cistern, sold him into slavery. Hmm. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons, which Israel is just another name for Jacob, so Jacob's sons were among those that went down to buy grain, for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. And they didn't recognize their brother because they hadn't seen him for 23 years. And now he's dressed as an Egyptian. He has the makeup of an Egyptian, Egyptian, the garb of an Egyptian. And they have no idea that Joseph stands in front of them. But Joseph immediately recognizes his brothers. 
And in that moment, he has the power. In that moment, he can do whatever he wants to do with the ones who've hurt him the most. I mean, think about it. He, he, he could go, hey, guys, look a little closer. Notice the family resemblance. Yeah, just in case you don't get it, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll just, we'll just start lopping off each of your heads one at a time so you can guess who I am. Or, or if he's not trying to be that mean, or he's be a little kinder, you can go, all right, all right, so let me, let me get the circum, let me get this. You guys are hungry. I've got the grain. You, you want to buy some grain from me. Let me think about that a second. No. <laughs> what do you do? What do you do in a moment when the people who've hurt you the most need you. And this is important for us because life just has a way of working. I don't know if it's the whole reaping what you sow principle, but more often than not, there comes a moment. Events transpire so that the ones who have harmed us, the ones who have wounded us, the ones who've betrayed us, come to a moment when they need us. For some of us, it'll, it'll be a parent, a parent of neglect, who was never there, never involved, maybe a dad who took off and left mom and the kids to fend for themselves. And now he's older, and he's heading to the nursing home. And the call comes, hey son, hey daughter, could you come visit me in the home? And in that moment, your heart will be tempted to say, are you kidding me? Me, come spend time with you. Where were you and where was the time when I needed you? Maybe it'll be a sister or a brother. The one who got all the attention from mom and dad, all the accolades, was always the rising star of the family, and you were always kind of relegated to the far end of the table. But now as life has played out, your, your career's been on the upward, and their career hasn't... Maybe you married well, and suddenly they find themselves in a tough way financially, and... Here comes the call. Hey, uh, it's kind of embarrassing, but is there any chance you could float me alone? And in that moment, your heart will want to say, oh, yeah, now you need me. It may be the partner. You went into business, and you were a Christian, and they were a Christian, and, and, and you had all these dreams about how you were going to do stuff together, and you were going to donate a certain portion of it to God, and, and you were going to run your whole business by Christian ethics and with honor, and they took off with the money, and now it's gone, and they're looking for work, and they need a reference. 
How do you answer that phone call? For some of us, it's going to be an ex. The, the divorce was ugly. It, what happened so often in court happened. There was this much truth and that much lie. They got way, way more than they should have got in the settlement. Now all of a sudden there's a medical condition. And they're laid up. And they need your help. Should have thought of that before you took off. So here comes the question. What do you do? What do you do in the moment when God delivers to your hand those who've hurt you the most and you've got the power? It's interesting what Joseph does. <laughs> he throws them in jail. You've got to love that, right? I mean, if you've got the power. Now he does. Joseph... Uh, takes his brothers, he tosses them in jail, he says to his brothers, he says, I think you guys are spies. Uh, I, I think you've come to spy out the land and figure out where Egypt is vulnerable, and I think you've got an army waiting just over the hill, and uh, I, I think this is all a big, some elaborate trick. To which his brothers say back, no, 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 you don't get it, we're, we're just ten brothers. Matter of fact, there's actually twelve of us, all brothers, all sons of one man, and actually one of our brothers is dead right now, and the baby... 23 years old, but the baby is uh, at home. So Joseph says, okay, okay. If you're really who you say you are and you're not soldiers, you're really all brothers and sons of the same man and there's a baby brother at home, then I'll give you the chance to prove it. Go get your baby brother, bring him back, and then I'll know that you're telling me the truth and I'll sell you all the grain you want. Only condition is simply this, one of you, you, you stay with me. I'll lock you in jail, and when your brothers care enough to come back with the baby brother, I'll release you. Interesting moment. The brothers turn to each other, and they speak in Hebrew because they figure that Joseph, the Egyptian, doesn't know Hebrew, and, they, and guess what they say? They say, you know why this is happening, right? because of what we did to our brother. Isn't that amazing? 23 years later, times begin to get rough, and the first thought, this is because of what you and I have done to our brother Joseph. It's interesting. Scripture says, of course, Joseph understood what they said, and he had to leave the room. And Scripture says he went and wept. He finally gets his composure back. He comes back into the room, and he says, okay, guys, here's the deal. I'm going to give you enough grain to get home, enough grain to get back with your uh, younger brother. Simeon is staying with me in jail, and he sends him off. They're approaching the house, and Jacob looks out and starts counting on his fingers and realizes uh, one of them's not there, and so he says, uh, well, what happened? And they tell him the story. We got there, and there's this guy selling the grain. He thought we were spies, and we told him that we weren't. We told him we were your sons, and, and uh, he said, prove it. 
bring the baby brother back, and uh, so we need to get Benjamin and head back as quick as we can. To which Jacob says, no way, no way, no way. I am not letting Benjamin out of my sight because after all, he's my favorite. Remind you of anything? And you kind of get the sense at this point in the story that just maybe Jacob never really believed the first story the brothers told. That deep in his heart, he's always been suspicious and always wondered what really happened with Joseph. Reuben turns to Jacob and says, no, look, Dad, please, please, let us take Benjamin back. It's the only way we're going to get food. I'll tell you what, on the lives of my two sons, isn't that really gracious of Reuben? On the lives of my two sons, we'll bring Benjamin back. Jacob says, no. So they eat the food. The Bowls become empty and their bellies become empty. And finally, Judah, the oldest brother, goes to his dad and says, Look, on my life, let us take Benjamin back. I'll return him to you. And if I don't, you can kill me. And finally, in the midst of hunger, in the midst of the promise of his son, Jacob allows Benjamin to go and they head back to Egypt. It's interesting in the story that uh, if you go there and read, and you'll want to go do that sometime because it's, it's just filled with all sorts of stuff, but over and over and over and over again, Scripture says that Joseph has to leave the room and weep as he deals with his brothers. You get why, don't you? There, there's a part of Joseph that in this moment is going, this is what I've dreamed. This is what I've waited for for 20 three years. And God is right now reaching out with the hand of justice to my brothers, and praise God, praise God, praise God, I get to be the mallet. And there's a part of Joseph that knows that's not the right answer. See, you and I have got to be careful. Because if, we're, if we don't watch our hearts, we'll spend 23 years waiting for the person that hurt us to hurt themselves. See, we'll find ourselves saying, look, I, I don't get how you could have betrayed me like that. See, that, that partnership was supposed to be honorable, and you and I looked at each other as brothers in Christ, and you betrayed. I've had to watch you spend the money. And all during that time, I was barely making bills. I had to call my creditors and say, I can't do it this month, maybe next month. And you were living high on the hog. You and I ended up in the same room, mutual friends and all that. And I would sit in absolute torment, and you were on the other side, 
acting as if you hadn't done anything to me. I prayed. I prayed and I prayed and I said, God, just make it right. I'm, I'm not asking for anything. Just make it even. And no answer. And if you and I are not careful, in the process of waiting for those who've harmed us to get theirs, you and I, you and I will walk around with a burden of injustice and unfairness and anger. Isn't it interesting that Joseph, Joseph knows that God is with him. Joseph understands that all through his life, God's been orchestrating that even when he was sold into slavery, even when he went into Potiphar's house, even when he was falsely accused, he gets it. He gets that God is there, and he gets that God has been orchestrating all of this. He gets that he is now at the top because God placed him there. And yet he's still struggling with resentment toward his brothers. Because, because, because. It's possible. It's possible to know that God has been with us and still be angry at those who've hurt us. Some of you have been around for a while. You, you know my story that uh, I was working at a church and got fired. Have I mentioned that I got fired for really stupid reasons? Have I mentioned that at all? Okay. I, uh, I was working at a church, and new senior pastor uh, came in, and he, he wanted his own staff to be at the church, and so he began to look real quickly about how to get rid of all the staff that was already there, and so he started files on everybody uh, in the staff, and he'd, he'd find anything he could to kind of make a mark, and of course, me being the shy, bashful, quiet one, I was at the bottom of the list. I was, I was at the top of the list. And he called me in one day, and he, he, he read his uh, list of four things uh, that I hadn't done right. Have I mentioned that his list was a stupid list? Have I mentioned that? Okay. And, uh, and he said, you're fired. And i got to be honest, I walked out of that office just torqued. I mean, I, I get it. I mean, if he didn't want me on his staff and if I wasn't a good fit, and, but why not do this with honor? I mean, why, why come up with a list of stupid things? Have I mentioned the list was stupid? <laughs> why come up with a list of stupid? Why not just say, hey, take your time, find another job. It, it's not going to be here. And then I thought about the elders who'd gotten the list and, why, why had they let a stupid list lead to firing? And it's interesting because when God moved me from there, he moved me to a church in Southern California, and I, I had the ministry of a lifetime over there for a youth pastor. I mean, unbel unbelievable things happened in that ministry. And here's the story I would tell. Here's what I would say to anybody who asked, guys, 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 I know it was kind of ugly and it was kind of messy how I ended up leaving the other church, but I just gotta, God is blessed and all the unfairness, all the wrong, it's okay because God was moving me 
to a better ministry, to a better opportunity. And even though I knew that God had been with me, it didn't change the fact that if you ever mentioned that man's name, my whole body tensed up. That, 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 that if I was ever in a room and someone was saying, boy, isn't so-and-so such a wonderful person, that, that every fiber of me wanted to run across the room and let, let me tell you about so-and-so. Because, because, because. It's possible to believe that God is with me and that he has had a plan and that, and that everything that has happened, he has guided. And to still be deeply bitter at the people who've hurt us. The brothers get back to Egypt for the second trip, and lo and behold, they've brought Benjamin this time, and Joseph says, hey, it's good to know you guys weren't spies, and tell you what, let's sit down and have a great dinner, and tomorrow I'll sell you all the grain you want. Joseph seats the brothers at the table in the order of their birth. They're all going, wow, that's, that's kind of strange. Next day, Joseph sells them all the grain they can carry, but he orders one of his men, says, take my goblet, take my ornamental banquet goblet, stick it in Benjamin's bag, stick it in the baby's bag. So lo and behold, they get about a day's journey away, and here come the soldiers of Egypt, and they go, why have you done this? Why have you done such a thing to our master after all the kindness he showed? And they're going to say, what are you talking about? He says, you've stolen his goblet. And one of the brothers looks at him and says, no, we didn't, we didn't do anything like that. Matter of fact, if you find the goblet, whoever's bag that goblet is in, let them be put to death. Oops. And sure enough, they start from oldest to youngest, and just about the time everybody's sighing a sigh of relief, and they come to Benjamin's bag, and right there in the top, the goblet. So now they all head back to Egypt. They get in front of Joseph, who they still don't recognize. And Joseph says, so I understand you made a deal I could put to death whoever we found the goblet in. I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll be more gracious than that. They can simply stay here. Benjamin, you stay here. And you be my slave for the rest of your life. In silence. And finally, Judah steps forward and he says, look, I, I've got no reason, I've got no right to ask this. Our dad has already lost a son. And it killed him. It broke his heart. Benjamin is his prized son. It's all he's got left in his heart. I swore to our father that I would not let any harm fall. His. Please, let me take his place. Trade my life for his life. Scripture says that once again, Joseph couldn't take it, and he runs out of the room in tears. And 
When he comes back, he clears all the Egyptians out. What do you do? What do you do in a moment when God has delivered into your hands the ones who've hurt you the most and you've got the power to hurt them back just as badly as they've hurt you? What do you do in a moment like that if you believe that God has been with you all along? Here's what Joseph does. Skipping over to chapter 45 because we've covered a whole bunch of ground together. Chapter 45 and starting in verse 3. Here's what it says. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Can you imagine the moment? So first off, the brothers are all sitting there thinking, man, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. Benjamin's going to be a slave, and Judah's offering to take, oh, this is bad. And then Joseph says, no, 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 it's me. And it goes to, this is really, really, really bad. Brothers' brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. You think? And then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. Oh, yeah, like that's going to happen. We're all going to sit around and sing kumbaya. Yeah, no, thank you. And when they had done as he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt, and now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives. Get this? God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and no reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You and your children and your grandchildren, your flocks and your herds, all that you have, I will provide for you there. Because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all that belong to you will become destitute. Did you catch verse 5? Joseph says to his brothers, in the moment in which he holds the ones who's hurt him in his hand, stop beating yourselves up. Stop, stop aching over the moment. I forgive you. And in that moment, not only the brothers lost a burden, Joseph did too. 
not because they deserved it, not because they asked. Because that's what you do. When God delivers into your hands the people who hurt you the most, if you truly believe with all of your heart that God has been with you. It's an interesting thing in the story, and and you kind of hear the whole thing about sticking the goblet inside of Benjamin's bag and bringing him back, and it kind of feels like a, a sixth grader pulling the wings off a fly. And you kind of get the impression that maybe Joseph is being mean to his brothers and he's just trying to torment them for a minute. I don't think so. You get that there's a difference between forgiving and trusting. And Joseph knows he's on the verge of letting his brothers off the hook, but he still has a question in his heart, can I trust them? Are these the same fellows who sold me into slavery, or has God done something in their lives since then? And so get the moment. These are the guys who sold their father's beloved son into slavery to make their lives more convenient. I wonder what would happen if the same opportunity presented. And so he builds a scenario in which he says, look, just leave Benjamin here to be my slave. The rest of you can go free. And remember the moment? Judah steps up. Because Judah in that moment is saying, I've done this once. I could never cause that harm again. And remember what Judah says to Joseph. Take me instead. Because Judah's not the same guy who sold Joseph into slavery. There's a difference between forgiving and trusting. If that weren't enough, if that that didn't land it, did you get the end of the passage where Joseph says, look, 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 not only do I forgive you, come live with me. I'm going to give you the best of the land. I'm going to put you in Goshen. It's, it's, It's the prime piece of real estate in all of Egypt. Come and live there. It'll be yours. We'll be neighbors. He's blessing. He's blessing the ones who've hurt him the most. Jesus kind of said the same thing, didn't he? Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, Do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If if someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it has been said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy. Which means, which means, which means. That in the moment that God delivers those who've hurt me the most, if I truly believe that God has been with me, I'll choose to bless. I'll visit the old folks' home. 
I'll make a loan to my brother or my sister. I'll mow the lawn for my ex. Because, because God was with me. Let's bow our heads. Dear Lord Jesus, we, we simply come to this moment and God, we, we just have to be honest and admit that when the hardest of times have come, when, when, when we looked to either side, it's been so difficult to see you there. And, 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 and God, even though Scripture tells us that you are with us, there, there have been moments that it just hasn't felt like it. And we've been tempted. We've been tempted in those moments to behave as if you were absent, as if you had left us to fend for ourselves. And we're simply coming tonight to affirm, to declare to our hearts, you may have been silent, but you have never been absent. And so we choose to simply in this moment conduct ourselves the way that anybody would conduct themselves if they were in a marriage like our marriage, if they were facing the finances that we're facing, if they had been wounded as deeply as we'd been wounded, to simply do what anybody in our circumstance would do who knew that you were with them. This we pray in Jesus' name.